بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We were going through a, a number of incidents and uh, individuals and personalities in our history who uh, whose mere presence, sitting in their presence, would remind a person of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and give them uh, concern and a fikr for the akhirah. That's why it's related about the famous Tabi'i who everybody's heard of him, uh, I mean, assuming Muhammad ibn Sirin, rahimahullah, the dream interpreter, Mufassir of the Quran. Whenever he would pass by in a market, a place of absolute negligence, Anybody who would see him would remember Allah. And they in the market. They would just see him and they would remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what Allah Dhahabi has related in Tariq al-Islam. When he would remember death, then it says that all of his limbs would be as if they're dead. Meaning it would just all be focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I was speaking to a particular... Um, scholarly individual the other day and he actually had another scholar research for him all the virtues of dhikr and what he discovered because um, he was trying to create a hierarchy of which gives you the greatest reward he said one of the greatest rewards you can get from a dhikr a specific dhikr not when I say greatest abundant I don't mean greatest la ilaha illallah is the best dhikr right it's the most powerful but in terms of rewards, which you get the most reward for in multiplications, do you know what that is? It's the one when you go into the market. And we, what is that? La ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika lah, lahul mulku lahul hamdu wa yimituhu ala kulli shayin qadeen. And how much is the reward? It's a million rewards for each one. That Apparently that dhikr holds the greatest amount of reward. So then he said, this is a very influential individual I'm talking about. He says, I sometimes go into the market just for that reason. Just to do those dhikr and see how many I can do. And the whole reason is that it's a place of shayateen, it's a place of uh, seeing the haram, the dunya, essentially. While a person has to go there, clearly what this hadith is telling you that it's permissible to go in a market, but just have your priorities right. If it was not permissible to go in a market, you know, because the hadith, there's a hadith which mentions that the best places in the dunya are the masajid and the worst places are the markets. That's just to discourage you. It doesn't mean that you can't go there. People need to go there sometimes. It's a market. It's where you get your needs of the dunya. The other day I uh, had to go to uh, a meeting in Knightsbridge with somebody. And for the first time in my life, I got there one hour early. I just completely missed read the time or whatever the case is and I got there meeting was at 12 o'clock I got there 11 o'clock no sorry meeting was at 1 o'clock and I got there 12 o'clock I got there and I the other person another friend of mine who was supposed to come there I, I contacted I said sorry I'm le uh, it was around 11 uh, sorry it was around 12 o'clock and I was said I'm going to be a few minutes late I'm still running late so he called me and he says I haven't even left I said what happened he says meeting is at 1 o'clock and then that's when I realized so then I decided I walked to Harrods because Harrods is on that street and I said let me check the perfume department and the fruit department 
It's very interesting things in there. But I felt that this uh, I can go in there and do this dhikr. It's a market. Uh, it's a market. I mean, I mean it's, you know what I mean by a market. It's a place you buy things. So you go in there and you do dhikr. And you do what you have to do. So I saw a few good perfumes. And saw the fruits was about 50 pounds a kilo. Right? Very prohibitive. Really, and no, no joke. Uh, they come within, you know, you have things like mangoes from Reunion Island. And these big figs from I don't know which country. And uh, things are brought in like within 48 hours. And then they're sold at these exorbitant prices. And there must be people who are buying this, obviously. Right? Probably just go in and pick these things up and just... Three, four hundred pounds, they just buy it, subhanAllah, you know, fruit milk. Anyway, um, so if you do end up going, this is what, the, uh, what this person said, he said that sometimes I take my family to the market, he said, uh, we read a few of these duas and say, Chalo, let's go back now. <laughs> we only come for this reason, just joking with them. But it's just to remind us that wherever you are, you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it was just from this. Hassan al-Basri uh, radiyallahu anhu, likewise, whenever he would be seen, people would remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ash'ath ibn Abdullah, who's one of his students, Ash'ath ibn Abdullah, one of Hassan al-Basri's students says that whenever we would go to visit Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah, we would come out and we would think insignificantly of the dunya. We would think the dunya is insignificant. He would just totally lower it in our eyes. Yunus ibn, uh, ibn Ubaid says that whenever a person would see Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah, he would benefit from him. Even if he didn't see him doing any deeds, just by the mere sight of him and just the way his composure was, his demeanor was. And I think I may have explained this last time, that this is all to do with the nur that is developed and the overspill of that nur that comes about from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when a person is focused on the hereafter and does abundant dhikr then you see that it's a power of that that is being emanated and even if they don't hear his speech even just by looking at him they would they would do this somebody asked Yunus ibn Ubaid um, do you know anybody who can who does the same deeds as Hassan al-Basri anybody who does equal deeds to Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah he said Wallahi, I well, he says, Wallahi, I don't even know anybody who says the same thing as him, can say the same things as him. So how is it possible that somebody do his deeds as well? Meaning can be equal to his deeds when just his words are so, and he was very powerful. He was not just a normal speaker, he was a very eloquent speaker, a master of Arabic, very penetrating in terms of his effect and very eloquent in terms of his delivery, very efficient. So um, just in that regard, with a heart, that nobody could uh, compare with him. So in terms of his action. And then after that, he decided to give a bit of a description of him and describe him. And he said, When he would arrive, it would be as if he's just arrived after burying his friend. You know where you're in a reflection. When if you've just buried your friend, somebody who you're in... You go some uh, Subhanallah. We see we go to people, people's janazas, uh, people we don't really know. It doesn't affect most people in the same way as if your own close friend or family died, because then you feel a distance, and then you feel I'm going to be distant as well. That feeling of distance and loss of somebody you know, and now to think you're not going to have access to them anymore, 
right? And the closer they are to you, the more this effect is. Then you, we start feeling the same thing towards other people that we will also have to go one day. It's just a natural human reaction to these things. Unfortunately, when you don't know the person and you just attend the janaza, then I am assuming that fewer people would be reflective. They do it as a duty. They do it because it's a, it's a good thing to do and it's rewarding. But do you have the same effect? Do we receive the same lesson from it? I, doubt the, I, I would doubt the most people would do this because uh, I, I guess I can only you know, think about personal emotions in, in, in this regard. But really, we should try to take Ibra and lesson from every single death if the person is young then the concept of dying young if the purple person purpose die if the person died in difficulty through lots of uh, uh, illness and disease then that is something we need to seek from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us from and to give us refuge from so whatever the circumstances we can reflect over those circumstances and then try to put ourselves because the whole point is As-sa'idu man wa'idha bighayri The fortunate one is the one who receives advice from others Who is always constantly receiving advice from others He doesn't have to be told and reminded But he is constantly on the lookout for advice And subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made human beings That we can literally take advice from pretty much anything out there Whether you see something in entertainment Right, which is supposed to bring happiness as such, you know, haram entertainment, supposed to bring joy to people. Well, we can say that Alhamdulillah, Allah has protected us from this, and may Allah protect us from uh, falling into this. So that everything can be a source of ibrah. وَإِذَا جَلَسَ فَكَأَنَّهُ أُمِرَ بِضَرْبِ عُنُقِهِ And when he sat down, then it was as if the command and decree had been given that his head would be chopped off. وَإِذَا ذُكِّرَتِ النَّارِ فَكَأَنَّهَا لَمْ تُخْلَقْ إِلَّا لَهِ And if the hellfire was mentioned in front of him, then it would be as if nobody else was created for, meaning that he was only created, he, that he was created just for the fire. How fearful that would be. I personally believe this is a bit of an exaggeration. Because this makes it sound very sullen, solemn, depressing, right? But you understand the purpose. We have to understand when we read these kind of comments, these are comments of uh, what a person would pick out from someone. The person may not be doing this all the time, and who am I to say that it's not possible? But it, it may sound very depressing to some people. This is not to say he was never happy, that he never smiled, that he never joked. I mean, that's non prophetic. Prophet ﷺ was seen as being happy. Yet, there's a hadith about the Prophet ﷺ as well. كان الدائم الفكرة He's constantly in a thought process. Or he's constantly thought, in thought. And there's numerous hadith like that about him. It just depends on who saw him and when they saw him. And what they decided to mention at that time. We do this about some people as well. But human beings go through various different emotions. So I just want to put that into perspective. Qadi Iyad uh, in one of his books, it's mentioned, he relates that Mus'ab ibn Abdullah says that Imam Malik, the great Imam of the Madhab and the Alim of Medina Munawwara, if the Prophet was mentioned in front of him, 
he his color would change and he would bow down in a sense he would he would look down he would become very solemn until this would be very difficult to take in by his uh, by his people uh, by the people sitting around him because it's kind of uncomfortable that somebody's into this thought and the interaction may have stopped somebody asked him about this one day that why did you do this for they couldn't understand now you have to understand who this person is there were, this is a person who used to when he used to teach hadith he used to create so much awe because it's mentioned that when he used to go to teach hadith as opposed to fiqh or anything else when he when he was to teach hadith he would put a special imama on he would put special garments on there would be a special place made for him so there would be a lot of ceremony in the process of hadith teaching out of respect for hadith only and he said that you could hear a pin it was pin drop silence in that gathering despite the greatest people being there there, there was a a lot of effort a lot of respect so one day while he's teaching his face is turning blue and red and you know various different colors and people are obviously looking at this because they're looking at him but he's not flinching at all it's just his you could tell that there's something going on but but he's not making much movement later he revealed that a scorpion had got into his dress his his clothing garment and had bit him i think it was 17 times or something but out of respect for hadith he didn't move he didn't flinch he just preserved that this is the kind of respect some people have for narrations and it seems unbelievable but after seeing a few people with some extreme level of respect for different things you can see how that's humanly possible to do this just because we didn't see him do this doesn't mean it's deniable just because it seems disbelievable he says law ra'aytum lama ankartum alayya ma tarawn he says if you had seen if you had if you had seen what i have seen basically then you would not consider this to be strange of me what you see that i get into this state when the prophet also has been he says because i used to go to muhammad ibn al-munkadir I used to go to Muhammad ibn Munkadir who was one of the main qurra uh, qaris of the time one of the great ulama of the time and any time we used to ha- we used to just about ask him about a hadith except that he used to start crying and until we used to feel sorry for him it's just their way of their emotion instead of you know there's people who get emotional when you mention one of their relatives to them they they so into their relatives or whatever the case is well these people their whole emotion was focused on the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said i used to sometimes go to ja'far ibn muhammad ja'far ibn muhammad is ja'far as-sadiq uh, radiyallahu anhu rahimahullah uh, one of the family of uh, has, uh, of uh, the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam wa kana kathirul mizahi wa tabassum he used to joke a lot and he used to smile a lot so he's very humorous but faida dhukira indahu an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wasallam right when the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was mentioned in his 
presence ikhdarra is isfarra wa kuntu kullama ajidu fi qalbi qaswatan atiman wa kadir he says however whenever the prophet sallallahu was mentioned then he would become green and yellow so this was just their respect and awe that they would hold for the prophet sallallahu now this obviously shows you that in here he's actually taken both things in consideration he didn't just mention that every time prophet sallallahu was mentioned this guy was he told him he was a jokey fellow so this is not to show that they just all these these people were all depressing individuals right وَكُنْتُ كُلَّمَا أَجِدُ فِي قَلْبِي قَسْوَةً He says that every time I used to find hardness in my heart. I used to feel that I don't feel like doing worship. I don't feel into it. We, get, we go through those stages, right? Just don't feel right, you know. قَسْوَةً That's hardness in the heart. I used to go to Muhammad ibn al-Munqadir. I used to just look at him once. And subhanAllah, that would be enough of a dose for days. I would receive... So much benefit and nasiha and counsel just by looking at him once, right? That it would last me for days. It would open up my heart. This is the inductive benefit of the awliya Allah. That just by their presence they can do this. Unfortunately, we're living in a world of entertainment, dramatic events, and a lot of these uh, things that require a lot of interaction, uh, a lot of display, Nothing is good enough without music. Do you see any programs on TV? Even the nasheeds nowadays have to have some kind of back... If not instrumental music, they have to have, unfortunately, uh, some kind of vocals behind it, right? Which sound a bit like music or provide you that same uh, uh, same kind of effect as music as such. In fact, even some of our bayans are like that these days. You know, at least clips that they put online that there has to be some kind of... Okay, sometimes it helps, right? These are all additions that help but uh, subhanallah these were the people that they could benefit you just by their mere presence and looking at them and these were people who could be benefited that way so it's both of these kind of people that we're speaking about subhanallah there's a wonderful poem which says that إِذَا سَكَنَ الْغَدِيرُ عَلَى صَفَائِن وَجُنِّبَ أَنْ يُحَرِّكَهُ النَّسِيمُ بدت فيه السماء بلا امتراء كذلك الشمس تبدو والنجوم كذلك وجوه ارباب التجلي يرى في صفوها الله العظيم when the pond the water reservoir becomes completely motionless in its purity and it is protected from being moved by the morning breeze and hence it's very pure, very clean and completely motionless and still, then the sky will be witnessed in it without any doubt, without any fuzziness. Likewise the, sh- the, likewise the sun will appear in it and so will the moon. You'll see the reflections of all of these things because there's no turbulence whatsoever. He says, likewise, كَذَلِكَ وُجُوهُ أَرْبَابِ التَّجَلِّي Likewise are the faces of those who are in the Divine Presence. The people of Tajalli, right, who have these unveilings. In their purity, Allah, the Majestic, can be seen. Of course, Allah cannot be seen anywhere. But it means that it reminds you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
Now, there's a, there was a hadith before which we read which said that his speech should increase you in knowledge. Such a, the person who is close to Allah is such a person who, whose speech should increase you in knowledge. Knowledge that takes you to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not just lots of data. So, the, the very famous and noble Sahabi, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu says, لَمَجْلِسٌ كُنْتُ أُجَارِسُهُ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ بْنِ مَسْعُودٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَوْثَقُ فِي نَفْسِي مِنْ عَمَلِ سَنَةٍ How can you even say something like this? Right? He's saying that the majlis, the gathering, the sitting in which I would be with Abdullah ibn Mas'ud رضي الله عنه You know, maybe he was with him for half an hour, one hour, maybe two hours. Right? That is more... I have more trust and reliance in that than a whole years of my own deeds. I think I will get more from that majlis than a whole years of deeds in terms of where it will take me. That's what he's saying. Are my deeds accepted? Are they done properly? Do they have issues? Right? But when I sit with him, I know the sincerity that I can muster in myself and the benefit that I get. Ajib, what kind of people were these, man? Subhanallah. It's mentioned um, in the Wafayatul Ayan of Qadi ibn Khallikan. This is a very famous book uh, by Ibn Khallikan. It's called Wafayatul Ayan, meaning the death dates of the. Um, it's basically like obituaries or death dates of the famous uh, individuals of the past. So. If you need to know about when somebody died when he was born on a basic, this is one of those biographical dictionaries. It's very useful for scholars. He, uh, he's got an entry in there for the famous Tabi'i, Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utba ibn Mas'ud. Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utba ibn Mas'ud. And he is one of the famous seven fuqaha of Medina Munawwara. So, you know, after the time of the Sahaba, they were f- these were the famous seven jurists of Medina Munawwara. And he was one of them. Right? They were known as the famous seven. Right? So, these famous seven fuqaha, see, we know th- that kind of famous five, but nobody knows the famous seven fuqaha, right? This is our state. We, need the, we know the Enid Blight and stuff. Right? So, he died in 102 Hijri, around the time when Umar ibn Abdul Aziz died. He, uh, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz also died around that age. So, um, actually, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz is the one who's relating this. That, this is Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, who is subhanallah, right? That just one majlis with Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utbah ibn Mas'ud. Is more beloved to me than the dunya and everything in it. Like I get so much out of it. It just infuses me. It gives me food for the... It's like I've gone to a petrol station. And I filled up. You know with the high class petrol or diesel or whatever. And you know. This is, this is the kind of thing that they understood. They, they could regulate themselves in this regard. For us it's just like our iman up or down. It doesn't even make a difference. Like we're in the same state all the time. In a state of fluctuation. But these people could tell, and they could tell when their battery was charged. They had a very good meter within them. We don't have meters. Our meter is very crude. You know? Subhanallah. 
He also said that, Wallahi inni la ashtari laylatan min layali ubaidillah bi alfi dinari min baytil mal. Wallahi, I would, I, I, I would pay, I would pay, I would buy one night of Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah, uh, Abdullah ibn Utbah ibn Masood. One of his nights I would buy for a thousand dinars of the Baytul Mal. I, I would be willing to pay that much. Right. Uh, one dinar is about 150 pounds. 140, 150 pounds, one dinar today. So a thousand you can imagine what the cost of that is. They said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, takul hadha ma'a tahariq wa shiddati tahafudik. You are saying this, like a person like you is saying this, despite all of your efforts and all of the way you know you preserve the deen and you know all of your efforts. He's saying that um, I would be willing, and you know what he's saying here is that, remember what Umar ibn Abdul Aziz did is that after the dominant culture of the previous Umayyads, he was part of the Umayyads, but he was a cousin of the main ruling family. And he had become the Khalifa by accident, right? Because the previous one didn't have children that were old enough to take it up. So what he first did was that his wife was the sister of uh, Sulaiman ibn Abdul Malik and all of those guys, the Abdul Malik ibn Marwan's daughter. So he first gave all of her jewelry away in back into the Baytul Mal. Gone are the days, he said, when we use this as our personal bank balance. It's for the Muslimi. So he first started from home. So what he's saying here is that, you know, he says, what's wrong with you guys? When they asked him this question, that somebody like you, you are saying this about Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah, Whereas you're so careful, you're so particular. He said, exactly. He goes, what's wrong with you people? He said, Wallahi, because of his opinion, because of his nasiha, because of his guidance, I am able to bring back into the Baytul Mal of the Muslimin thousands and thousands. It's because of his nasiha that I'm able to do this. You need an inspiration. You need an inspiration. I was talking to a prince recently. Prince of a particular country, right? A very religious man, mashallah. And basically, he said, Look, all you need really as a leader of a place is somebody with a good heart who wakes up in the morning and thinks, What can I do for the people? What can I do for the people? How can I help people today? And be honest and just about it. That's what you need. You just minimally need that. The selfishness gone. And this is what you're seeing here. How do you get that? You need somebody to give you nasiha. That's why Ma'moon and Rashid and all these people, uh, some of their success obviously is that there's one incident where I believe it was Ma'moon and Rashid or Harun and Rashid, one of the two, the father or the son, comes to Medina Munawwara, wants to meet all of the scholars, he meets them, and then he says to his uh, minister or whatever, he said, you know what, I've got hardness in my heart. I feel turbulence. Call me an alim. So they mentioned a number of different ones. He says, no, 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 not him, not him, not him. Because he's probably had interaction with them and he doesn't feel like they can benefit. So somebody then said, okay, there's Abu Hazim. Right? He's a great scholar of Medina. He's a big muhaddith as well. He said, yeah, yeah, bring him in. Right? But take it easy. Like, you know, don't go in as like, you must come and all that. So they went to his house and he hid. He didn't want to come. Right? 
finally managed to come and then there's this long discourse about it and he just gives it to him straight right because the first question he asks why is it that we love the dunya we don't love the akhirah so he said it's because you know you've you, you've inhabited this world and made it beautiful so you like it and the hereafter one you've left it desolate so you, you don't feel any relationship to it right anyways long discussion so they would do this. So you need inspiration in your life. You can be wherever you are. Everybody needs inspiration in their life. That's the main thing because that's our battery charging. That is what makes the heart. Subhanallah. That's what it is. So he said, because of this, this is how much I'm able to benefit. Thousands, thousands into the Baytul Mal. And he says that, in his discussions, he's, he's talking about Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah. He says, in his discussions, in his discourses, it refines your intellect. It gives you sharpness in your intellect of how you should look at things from an akhirah perspective. Not in a fuzzy, dunyawi perspective that is ambiguous. It tells you how to sharpen your intellect and how to give comfort to your heart in what you're doing. That I feel comfortable about doing this. And it removes your cares. It gives satisfaction to your worries and concerns. And of course, And it reforms your character. That's what he used to benefit from. That's why um, somebody, as a, a, poem, a poet says, وَمَا بَقِيتُ مِنَ اللَّذَّاتِ إِلَّا مُحَادَثَةُ الرِّجَالِ ذَوِي الْعُقُولِ The only pleasures that I have now is that I like to, is I like to discourse with men who have an intellect. That's the only thing that gives me pleasure. Nothing else gives me pleasure. Just to sit with somebody who will help me out. Who will give me a better understanding of things. That's what I need. And you know, anybody who's high up there, this is their pleasure. Even if it's for the different reason. It's mentioned about Bill Gates, for example, that you know, if you go to sit with him, any Tom, Dick and Mary goes to sit with him, if you're even able to sit with him, he'll just dismiss you. Like, even if you have to have a meeting with him, he'll just be doing something else and you won't even be paying attention. The only way you can grab him and catch his attention is that if you speak about something that is up there to his benefits, then he'll give you his full attention. That's what some people said. Right? This is just how people, when they've understood their purpose, whatever his purpose is, right? Alhamdulillah, Allah has given him tawfiq to help billions of people become big philanthropists, right? But um, th- th- uh, th- this is when they get really particular about it. So people who are focused on the hereafter and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they know where this benefit comes and they're willing to pay gold for it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that kind of benefit and, and company may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that kind of inspiration Allah we ask you for acceptance O Allah we ask you for acceptance of this gathering O Allah for all those who are present who are listening O oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness. O oh Allah, we ask you for your compassion. We ask you for your mercy. O oh Allah, we ask you to, for us to be able to return to you. O oh Allah, for us to be infused with your noor and your light and to be inspired so that we could have a, 
life of full of obedience and to be protected from disobedience. Oh Allah, make your obedience beloved in our hearts. And oh Allah, your disobedience hated in our hearts. Oh Allah, we ask that you guide us aright in whatever we do. And you grant us a tawfiq to live a life full of taqwa and full of purity. Oh Allah, that you make it easy for us to avoid the wrongs that are out there and the wrongs which have crept into our life. Oh Allah, and the sins that have become second nature to us that we don't, we no longer even sometimes consider to be sins anymore. Oh Allah, we ask you for insight. We ask you for understanding. Oh Allah, we ask you for tawfiq. Oh Allah, we ask you to grab us by the forelocks and enter us into Jannah. And oh Allah, put us on the path of the people of Jannah. Oh Allah, put us onto the path of the people of Jannah. Oh Allah, fulfill our permissible needs. Oh Allah, protect us and our children and our progeny until the day of judgment. Oh Allah, grant some relief to our Muslim brothers and sisters around the world. Oh Allah, we ask you for we ask you for your assistance. We ask you for your help. Oh Allah, we ask you for unity among us. Oh Allah, we ask you to fulfill our permissible needs. Whatever obstacles we have in front of us that stop us from practicing your faith. Oh Allah, remove them. Make our surrounding, our family, our work environment and our social environment. Oh Allah, make all of that conducive for our faith. Oh Allah, the challenges that we as Muslims are going through in this in around us and people around the world oh allah we ask you for relief from those problems grant us strength oh allah grant us strength oh allah grant us strength grant us conviction in our deen oh allah grant us the kalima la ilaha illallah grant us the grant us a smooth transition in all of the stages of the hereafter and a place high levels of jannatul firdaus O oh Allah, and we ask you one final thing, that you send your abundant blessings upon our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun al-mursaleen walhamdulillah.